Welcome to the Tennis with an Accent podcast. This is your host, Matt Zemick. Here we go. The first major tournament of 2021, still in a pandemic, but uh, with at least some degree of normalcy. And I say some just because the Australian Open is generally played around this time. We're not dealing with Roland Garros in October. It's a little more normal. It's certainly not fully normal. But, uh, you know, those of us here in the United States, we're going to be up in the middle of the night in, in winter. So that feels a little bit familiar. And uh, it's time to break down a major tournament draw. That also feels a little bit familiar as well. So to join us on this Australian Open preview show for the Tennis with an Accent podcast, uh, we have in-house analyst Mert Ertunga, Mertov's the let T desk, Murtov's the letter T desk on Twitter, and uh, Brianna Faust, whom you can find on Twitter at for the tennis, the, the, the number four, the tennis. Mert and Brie, welcome back to the Tennis with an Accent podcast. Hi, Matt. Hi, Brie. Hi, Mert and Matt. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So, going to start with Mert, then I'll kick it over to Brie. Just your general impressions of the women's draw. We'll tackle the men later. Just your general initial thoughts on the women's draw at the 2021 Australian Open. I am really, really looking forward to the first week on the women's draw uh, as opposed to the men's draw. Uh, There are plenty of great matches. There will be a lot of second and third round matches that will probably have the quality of late round matches in a lot of majors over the last 10 or 15 years. And uh, and a lot lot is going to depend on the physical prowess of of the players. You know, we have players who have had to battle injuries over the last 12 months, and then we've had players who have had to do the hard quarantine. And we've had players who played this week, but who withdrew, whether it's a nagging injury or or another uh, uh, problem with their body. But at the end of the day, when we're looking at the draw, you know, when I'm looking at the draw and trying to see who would win what, I'm hoping or I'm basing it on the presumption that they will physically be okay, which is a lot to expect. So, uh, you know, probably everything that we say should be taken with a grain of salt from that perspective. Bree, your overview. Well, I'm just really excited to see some tennis. I don't know about you guys. Uh, it seems like it's been so long since we had the French Open. But uh, I agree with Mert. The women's side definitely seems more exciting initially um, than the men's side. I'm really excited to see pretty much all the seeds back in action. We got a little bit of a taste um, this week in the new Australian Open warm-up tournaments that we saw. But due to you know our perilous pandemic conditions, um, we didn't really get to see everything that we wanted. So really, I'm just excited to see everyone play again. All right. And before we break down brackets and talk about specific matchups, let, let's deal with an, the big picture question kind of lurking in the background of, of this tournament. And that is uh, the, the withdrawals and, uh, that we've seen over the past week. Anything that either of you see which might indicate that any of these injuries might be a little bit more significant than just a precautionary move? Any of the various withdrawals uh, raises any kind of red flags for either of you? Let's start with you, uh, Bree. Um, The one person that I am a little concerned about was Halep. I did not get to see the match, but um, 
people were saying that she was having trouble with her hip and the score line just did not look really good um, for someone who could potentially just be trying to save energy before a slam. So I'm hoping Halep turns out okay. I'm not really sure what her condition is. Um, everyone else really kind of seemed to be just ready for the next next week's events. Like Serena pulled out with a shoulder injury, but I'm not really concerned about that. Um, Azarenka has pulled out. Um, even um, uh, who was the other one? Was it Mertens or mm. so- Carolina Muhova pulled out with uh, abdominal pain? Yes, there we go. So I think hers could be a real injury as well, but. Um, Really, I think everything's just precaution. Um, I'm going to go along with uh, what Bree said. I, you know, I believe what was important for some players, especially the ones that Bree just mentioned, is to get a, a match or two or three under their belt before the Australian Open. There's no doubt that their big focus is the is the Australian Open for those players, and uh, and they did. They, you know, they went and they went ahead and played one match, two matches, or three matches. And now that we're, um, you know, on Friday and Saturday, perhaps they, 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 it, it's not to say they're not injured at all, but, uh, but simply the, the, the payoff of playing po- through a possible nagging injury and taking even the, 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 the smallest chance to make it worse when in a day or two you're going to have to play a major uh, probably uh, is not wise when you can just rest it and be 100% ready for the major. And Mark, can you like break down for us how tough it is on a player to be inactive for a couple of weeks and then have to play? It's it's incredibly uh, tough. I uh, I think it's underrated actually, and I've and I've noticed on social media and on various articles through the last two or three weeks that in the general, in general, this is taken very lightly. The fact that players have not been able to uh, to uh, you know, some players have been hard quarantined or simply not been able to follow their, their, their routines. Think of it this way, Bree. Uh, if, if, say, for example, you work at a company and uh, you have a big presentation coming up for uh, some international CEOs who are coming to visit your company and the, the waiting room is, the, the conference room is set up and all of a sudden, uh, you know, an hour before the presentation, you find out that your projector is not working uh, power is on and off, and you're not going to be able to do the presentation you've been preparing for for a while. Now, I'm sure you would have a, quite a reaction to that, or you, or, or, or you know, the, uh, you know, those, that techno, those technological things that you're going to use for that presentation are your biggest assets in preparation for your performance in the presentation. It's the same analogy in tennis. Practice is your biggest asset in, in preparing for. Uh, for high-level competition, so yes, it will have an it will have an impact. I think it already had an impact. Uh, we saw it in the, this week, but uh, you know, also in terms of confidence, right? I mean, you, you, to know that you're going into a major in the best with, with the best possible preparation under your belt is another thing, and then it's one thing to go into it thinking, well, I mean, I, I don't know. What if you know? What if all of a sudden I can't hit this shot or hit that shot right because I didn't get enough? practice so it 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 has an impact so let's look at the women's draw and the conversation has to start with that incredibly loaded 
bottom half. I mean, when, when you look at a draw sheet and you see, you know, the, the, the players whose names are highlighted in bold, those are, of course, the various seated players in that bottom half. And so of the eight sections in that bottom half, you know, comprising the four different uh, uh, co components, of, of those various sections, um, there's only one uh, there's only one uh, group of eight players which doesn't have at least one major champion, and that's the eight-player, uh, you know, subsection with uh, Sabalenka and Zhang. Um, that's uh, that that eight-player group's the only one in which the the two seeds, one of the two seeds, aren't aren't a major champion. Uh, so it's just this is draw. This bottom half is littered with major champions. Anything that, that particularly stands out about the, the particular matchups between major champions that could await us uh, in the round of 16 and the quarterfinals, forget about the semis and final, just the, the round of 16 and quarterfinals that stand out for you. Mert, take, take a crack at it first. Okay, from the, from the bottom of the draw, there are just so many of them. And, the, and you know, the stat that you just gave, Matt, is stunning. I, I, I don't know if that, uh, I don't know if any previous majors even got close to that, you know, to have a, a major champion in each eight-player section in one half of the draw, uh, on a 62 draw, I mean, 64 draw. In other words, that's, that's just stunning, shocking. But, uh, you know, out of those matches, I, uh, for example, I'm looking at Shriontek and Ribakina, if they play each other. That is, a, that is a high quality match, assuming both players are, you know, are playing well. And then you have, uh, well, you have, for example, let's take that uh, eight player section with Sabalenka that you talked about. You know, there's, there's Zhang there and there's also Katie Bolter. You know, the Sabalenka, you would think would come out of there, but you can't be sure. So there, there are a lot of question marks. And then, and then you got Muguruza, who will probably end up playing Kerber, and their winner will end up playing Jabber and Osaka winner if all, if all works out according to Seas. That's an, that's an incredible third-round quartet right there, if they all make it to the third round. Muguruza, Kerber, Jabber, and Osaka. And then their winners playing each other before even anybody reaches the, the quarterfinals. And, and then you have... You know, right above them, you have Kvitova, Vondrosova, Venus, all in the same uh, section with Andrescu, from whom I don't know if we can really expect much in this tournament. But, um, but yes, it's, 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 a very, um, uh, it's a very loaded uh, draw. And just like you said, I'm, uh, I have trouble even getting to the fourth round here because of the matchups, matchups that I'm seeing. Bree, how about this bottom half? <laughs> oh man like you guys have been saying it's just it's crazy down here I mean we could start anywhere any section and pick out any type of delicious matchup that uh we could dream of on the WTA side but I mean I'll just start with Osaka's draw alone like I mean from the fourth round on she could play Muguruza uh Andrescu Halep Barty I mean that would be an incredible second week for any player to successfully get through, let alone a three-time major champ. So, um, I mean, I don't know where to begin. It's just everything that I want to watch. I mean, I want to see how Kvitova does after her great showing against Venus 
last week. I mean, to me, that was my match of the week that I saw out of all the turn- warm-up tournaments was Venus versus Kvitova. And uh, it looks like Venus has a pretty manageable draw for the first time in a while. She doesn't have to face her sister or any other extreme top faves. So I'm excited to see what she can do as well with the changes that she's made recently with her new coach. Um, but yeah, I mean, where do we begin? I, I would love to see Kennan and Barty play again. Um, I would like to see what Jennifer Brady can do. She's now a seated player as well, and her section looks decent. So I would be amazed to see what her upside could be at this uh, Open. Um, also, there's Azarenka. Um, there's Sakari, who's waiting to make a good showing. And then there's also Spitalina. Sorry, Bri, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Are they? Wait. Oh, excuse me. You're right. They're, they're on top, right? Those, those, <laughs> Azarenka and Brady are on top. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You're right. I got so excited. I'm reading this. It is now. exciting. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we've waited a long time for this. So, but, but, you know, so Brie, you did mention Naomi Osaka at the, at the beginning of your, uh, you know, overview of this bottom half. And I think that's a, a good follow-up question for both of you. So Brie, we'll start with you and then kick it over to Mert. Um, is this a case where it is Osaka's tournament to lose despite the tough draw, or does the tough draw in your mind really kind of level things out and make this uh, WTA tournament more uncertain than it would have been if Osaka had a had a a, a, a gentler path in the first week. Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think Osaka's draw potentially is an equalizer for this tournament because she's definitely one of the top three faves. I would say for any hard court tournament right now, and specifically this Australian Open. Um, so. If she can get past Owens Jabir, I mean, Garcia, Pavlichenkova, I mean, and that's just week one. Um, I I think it'll be tough, but she's game. I think she can also beat all those players. But uh, it's definitely tough for an odds-on favorite. Um, uh, I'm going to go with Brie also. I, and, and, and another thing about Osaka, too, if if she can make it to the – fourth round or to the quarterfinals i think once the players get to the quarterfinals and if she does make it there she might have maybe a a, a i don't want to say less easier definitely but a lesser a less potent quarterfinal opponent or one that she can manage better than the others you know you might have serena and halep for example in the bottom quarterfinals Whereas Osaka, if, he, if she makes it to the quarterfinal, she'll end up playing someone like um, Petra Kvitova, Venus Williams, who are excellent players, but I don't think that they can beat Osaka at, at her best. And yes, I do think this, is, this tournament is Osaka's to lose, to answer your question, um, Matt. And, uh, you know, a couple of, one more thing too. You know, there are a couple of players, as loaded as the bottom is, there are a couple of players for whom, if, the, if everything falls right, they could end up having an easier path depending on who they end up playing against, you know, because there are some potential first round, second round uh, results that we may, we may raise some eyebrows when we, when we see them. And, uh, and it may open up, uh, you know, the, some, some of these players' road, looking back a week from today, may end up being a little bit less rocky 
than what we're predicting right now. I mean, uh, for example, I'm looking at Serena's draw. You know, Serena is at the bottom, but uh, depending on who she will end up playing in the second, third, and fourth rounds, she could end up having an easier path to the quarterfinals than, than initially uh, thought. Sorry, I jumped from Osaka to Serena there, but uh, you know, that, that's, that's my thought. Yeah, so the, the follow-up question I have, and I'll start with you, Mert, is that you know, with, with players having been off for a long time, I mean, especially, you know, the women did not have a year-end championship in China, you know, unlike the men who did play in London. I mean, there's been more uh, downtime uh, for, for the women, and then we have the quarantine complications in Australia, and now you get this loaded bottom half of the draw in which the first week, it's going to be tough to get out of the first week. Forget about week two. It's going to be tough to, to get through the first week. How does that factor into uh, how, how you view this tournament and, and the challenges the, the various players face, not just one or two, but everyone in this bottom half? How, how, how uh, unique is that going to be in terms of you know, what you expect to happen at this tournament? This is this type of situation, in my opinion, where more experienced players, the players that have done well in majors before, and I don't mean just – winning one major, like some, many of the, just like you said, Matt, many of the players, several players in this bottom half have done that, but just the, the players who have been in majors for years and years and years and years and have gotten to the semis, finals, quarterfinals, late stages of majors multiple times. Those are the players that know best how, how to handle a situation like this. This is why I think a player like Bianca Andreescu, uh, has a disadvantage here in this bottom half of the draw. Someone who has not played in 12, in, in, in 12 months, first time back, she's had to, you know, she's had uh, major physical issues over the last 12 months. And yes, she has won a major, but she's still very young. And that was the one time where she just excelled in one major. I'm not sure how a player like that fares in this type of loaded draw versus people like Venus Williams, Petra Kvitova, Osaka, Muguruza, Serena, Halep. I think though the, the players that I just uh, mentioned have an advantage over players like Andrescu or Vondrosova, for example, in these type of situations, or even Jaber, I would say. Bree, how would you come at that same question in terms of uh, players have had a lot of downtime and now they have to not only deal with the challenge of going through a fortnight, but especially a tough first week in a bottom half that has so many contentious matchups. Um, I agree with Mert. I think experience will definitely come into play. Um, like you said, those players are just going to be disciplined enough to get through this fortnight and know what they have to do to make sure their mind's correct. So they're putting out their best performances. Um, as far as like upsets goes, I'm not really sure that we'll see more upsets than usual because, I mean, what has been the trend on the WTA is that we've had like a new semifinalist in like the past 10 majors in a row, something like that. Um, so I, I think the competition will still be tough. We may see some people bow out a little easier than we thought they would, but um, I think in general – uh, the integrity of the event will be the same as usual. It'll just be more exciting. Okay, we have to pay at least some attention to Iga Sviatek, uh in this bottom half, yeah. and she's uh, you know she could play Halep in the fourth round, the round of sixteen, 
what, what, you know, I, you know, she, she stole the show at Roland Garros, dominated the field. Of course, that was on clay. Uh, be, being on hard courts, how much, if any, does that change the equation? And, and what's, what are your expectations for Sviatek at this tournament? Bree, let's start with you, and then we'll go to Mert. Uh, my expectations are, I don't want to say low for a slam champion, but they're just kind of like, uh, I just want to see what she can do. I really have not seen much of Iga besides um, her run at the Roland Garros last fall. So I'm just curious to see more of her game and see how she matches up with the different players on on the tour. Um, She's got a great forehand, so that should come in handy. Um, I think her serve's great too. And they're saying that the courts are playing quicker. So I'm I'm really just curious to see how she will do with this environment, especially with the lack of preparation. Uh, Matt, to answer, to answer your question, uh, you know, I, just a second ago when I was talking about experienced players versus uh, newer players, and I mentioned Andrescu and Jaber, for example, I thought they were at a disadvantage over the other players that I mentioned. I should have included Sriontek there too. I think Sriontek is also at a disadvantage, even though she is a major champion. In a loaded half like this with all the unforeseen circumstances arriving into this tournament, uh, they're just, uh, you know, the other players are just more seasoned to, to buckle down and, and, and focus on the, um, on the task at hand. Not that Shionta cannot do that, but I'm not sure that from this type of loaded draw with so many experienced players, Shionta and Andreescu are the two players that I would pick to go to the quarterfinals. And, um, but on the other hand, uh, Shuantek's game is perfectly capable of doing very well on all surfaces. In fact, she's a great, good grass court player. Uh, and uh, she, she, her game is, uh, suits to every surface. So if she catches fire, yes, she can win. But look, you know, there, there are a lot of good players on her road. I mean, there, there's Shvedova really early. And then she's got to play Ribakina. And then she would have to go through Simona Halep. And then after that, she would probably have to go to Serena. And that's before it's the semifinals. I, I, I just don't see it happening, honestly. Uh, you had mentioned uh, Rybakina, uh, you know, and that could, you know, so Rybakina versus Sviatek, that could be an, um, another amazing third round match joining Jabur Osaka and Kerber Muguruza. Um, you know, remember, uh, Rybakina uh, made that run to the final in Dubai last year just before the pandemic hit uh here we are you know 11 months later uh you know if the pandemic had not hit she would have been a breakout candidate in indian wells and miami and and as the season moved forward what's your assessment mert and i'll get Bree's opinion in a bit but mert what's your assessment of ribakina uh entering this uh, australian open big fan i'm a big fan of ribakina i love her game uh, she can accelerate. She can do many things, and uh, and yes, she can, she can have a breakout tournament here. This this draw, as loaded as the bottom side is, is one that she could actually get through all the way to the quarterfinals. I mean, I I, I can see her beating Shriontek and upsetting Simona Halep to go to the quarterfinals to possibly face Serena. I can easily see that happening. So I have high uh, high expectations actually of Rivakina here. Bree, how about you? With Rybakina, I definitely think she has a great shot to go far. I think we could probably say she's one of the dark horses. 
um, out of that quarter with Halep uh, potentially injured. Um, it would kind of be cool to see her go far because she's definitely someone to watch. And um, she seems very focused um, from what I've read on like the WTA insider about her. She's very ambitious and wants to kind of get a slam result to back up the grunt she's had in Dubai and other places. So um, she had a 21 and six record at the end of 2019. And I think she might be ready to put it together in a slam. Um, so it'll be exciting to see what she could come up with. All right. I'm going to ask for your, for your picks for, you know, who's going to make the uh, semis from the bottom half. But before I do that, and you can think about it, but before I do that, uh, I want to ask you about unseated players in this bottom half. Got a lot of familiar names and, and, and players with, you know, reputations for being very tricky opponents, uh, it, it, you know, at, in the first week of a major. Uh, Shea Suwei, Pirankova, uh, Kasatkina, uh, lots of interesting unseated players. Of the various unseated players you see in this bottom half, uh, Bree, I'm going to start with you. Any of the unseated players you think could get hot, make a run to the round of 16, maybe even the quarters? I do not see anybody that's jumping out on me. Maybe Caroline Garcia from the bottom half. Um, I would like to see Rebecca Marino have a bit of a run, the qualifier from Canada. Um, she has a great backstory where she left the game due to anxiety and depression, I think. Um, just the stress of being on tour and she's recently come back and this will be the first main draw of a slam that she's played in. So I'm, I'm really just happy to see her in a main draw and I hope she can do well and maybe learn and tell more of her story so people can hear it. And just for our listeners, she's drawing a, a wild card, Kimberly Burrell in round one, she could play Marketa Vandrushova in round two, and that is in Kvitova's section. Um, so that that's uh, Rebecca Marino's uh, outlook. Mert, how about an unseated player in this bottom half you think could uh, get on a roll? All right, all right. I'm going with Katie Bolter, the British player. Um, I think she can – She. I'm going to pick her. That's my, that's my I guess, really uh, speculative pick. Uh, I really liked the way she played this week in, in both of her matches. I watched it from beginning to the end. A lot of confidence, a lot of uh, very high IQ player, creates a lot of uh, power, potent forehand. And she's playing Kasatkina first round. It's, a, it's, it's not an easy draw. And then she would have to beat Sabalenka next round. But uh, depending on Sabalenka, you know, Sabalenka could, is, is in form. Uh, but... Um, uh, if there's one huge upset that, uh, that, you know, if you're asking me to pick one big upset, who do I see possibly raising eyebrows throughout the first week? I'm going to pick Katie Bolter. I think she can go possibly, I mean, possibly, I know it would be a stunner, but she could possibly get to the third or fourth round even. Okay. For our listeners, just want to let you all know that, you know, tennis with an accent, tennisaccent.com, we're publishing our staff predictions once again. Uh, we're back in, in that mode. So you're going you're gonna to read what all our staffers are picking for this tournament. But I want, but on this podcast, I obviously want to be able to, to hear Bree and Mert offer their picks for semifinalists, finalists, and champions. Well, we'll get, we'll deal with the finalists and champions 
at the very end of our women's tournament discussion, but let's just get the semifinalists from uh, this bottom half. Mert, your semifinal picks for this incredibly loaded half of the women's draw. Naomi Osaka versus Serena Williams. Bree. Oh, this is tough. It's it's thirty all in, in at at four all in the final set. Uh, I'm gonna say Serena and hmm, Serena and Muguruza. All righty. So we've we've gone from the blockbuster half, and now we go to you know what is a very good half, but it just you know just in comparison to the bottom half, the top half just doesn't have the same star power. But but these aren't a bunch of chumps. You have Ash Barty, you have Alina Spitalina, and, and you have Jennifer Brady, who made the sensational run to the U.S. Open semis. You have Sophia Kennan, who is the defending Australian Open champion. So, uh, Bree, let's start with you. What's What are your foremost impressions uh, about this top half of the draw, which you know, has uh, can provide lots of opportunities for players to make a dark horse kind of run uh, to, a, to the semi or the final? Can I just say that off the top of my head, Danielle Collins, uh, I want her to be the dark horse that busts through this top half. Um, I'm really pleased with how she was playing in the warm-up warm up tournaments, and I thought she brought a great level against Serena in the last match that they both played. And I would love to see her capitalize on that draw. It seems like she could potentially play Pliskova again who she um, beat in the warm-up tournament in Australia. Uh, Jennifer Brady's here. We've got Azarenka, who definitely has a good shot with her draw to make um, some moves. Um, we've got Putintseva, <laughs> who is not a crowd favorite sometimes on the internet, but I think she's a great entertainment. And uh, she's definitely got a chance to go far with uh, – playing Sloan in the first round who I I adore Sloan but she's gone through some tough times just in her game recently and personally with losing some family members to COVID so um, I think the top half is really wide open it's really kind of Barty's playhouse um, I think she's going to make it to the semis again and um, it's really just going to be who's going to join her from that bottom half is it going to be Kennan could it be Brady could it be Azarenka Kanta um, yeah, the bottom, bottom half is, I mean, there's even Svitolina down there. Um, yes, uh, I go along with pretty much everything um, Bree just said. You know, there's also Benchich. I mean, the, 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 there are a lot of good players. But uh, at a first look, and having watched Barty play this week, uh, I feel as if this, this half of the draw is Barty's. To, to lose, in other words, uh, if, if I've seen the best of Barty this week in, uh, in, in her matches, the only problem was she wasn't playing at that level from the first point to the very end. In other words, she would play stunning tennis, you know, maybe the best tennis we've seen her play, uh, same level as when she won uh, her major. But then she would also go on a patch of two or three games where she lost concentration or she made mistakes. And would uh, and her opponent would get into the match. So, uh, but what what I did see is that she's got her game back. She 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 can play that same level of tennis 
uh, that won her a major. So, uh, you know, her being number one seed here is fitting. Uh, this is her, her have to lose. Although I will admit that I do not have her going to the semifinals. I have her being upset by, by, uh, by another player. But then there's Jen Brady and uh, Elena Svitolina, who are, you know, both um, tough, tough players. And uh, if anything at all, I would like to, I would like to personally see Jen Brady do well here, you know, and possibly reach quarterfinals, if not semifinals again. She's a player that I've admired for a long time. I think she's been an overachiever for many years. And now that she's reached a certain level of, um, I don't want to say elite status, but one of the top player statuses, I would like her to confirm that and remain there for the next two or three years to come because she's a really, really exciting player to watch. That's, Jan Brady is the type of player that will draw new fans to the game. So I'm, I'm hoping that she does well here. In the uh, bottom half of the women's draw, there are so many possible great third rounders. Uh, when I look at this top half, the, the round which really crackles with possibility is the round of 16. You could have Azarenka and Svitolina. You could have Brady and Kennan. Uh, you could have uh, Benchich against Pliskova. You know, lots, lots of really exciting p possibilities in the round of 16. Uh, of the matchups that could emerge in the round of 16 from this top half, uh, is one of those matchups something that you have an eye on? Did you, have an, did you think about another possible tasty round of 16 match when you looked at the draw sheet and went through your matchups? Mert, let's start with you. Yes, I, uh, I mean, Azarenka and Svitolina sounds very exciting if they both make it there. Uh, I think that would be a banner match. Uh, another one is uh, Karolina Muhova, who I think will come out of that section of eight with Pliskova and Danielle Collins in it. I think Muhova will be the one coming out, although, you know, she withdrew once again from her match yesterday. So, you know, it depends on what type of injury that is. But we're assuming, again... I'm presuming that we're assuming they're not hampered by injuries when they go out to play these matches. But uh, I, would, I would put as a round of 16 match, Muhova versus possibly Mertens or Bencic. That's an, that's an excellent match. And uh, yeah, those, those, um, that's, that's three out of four right there that I already mentioned. So to, you know, talk about uh, uh, tasty matchups prior to the quarterfinals. This first week is going to be fantastic. Bree, what's your what's your input on po possible round of sixteen clashes in this top half of the women's draw? Um, I agree with Mert. He picked some great highlights. I would also like to see um, Kennan play Kanta. I think that could be a fun matchup. That's uh, projected. I'm not sure Kanta will even make it. Um, her draw is doable, so we could see that um, unless Jennifer Brady stops her. But, um, yeah, Azarenka Svitolina would be a lot of fun. I like seeing their game styles match up. Um, Barty versus whoever makes it, I think, will be fun. Petrik Martic is uh, the projected finalist. But, um, I mean, round of 16 opponent. But I think it could be either Contavite or actually um, Shelby Rogers who comes through that. That could be interesting as well. Um, and I know you talked about first rounds, Matt. Um, I would also like to throw out 
a little bit of a deja vu first round, which is Coco Goff versus Jill Teichman. <laughs> That's um, right. I feel like they're getting the Burditch and um, who was it? It was somebody that Burditch used to play like all the time. They they're matching up uh, pretty frequently as well. So that'll be something to watch out for. And their match last week was great, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, that was one of the best matches I've seen in a while. Yes, it was very good, very competitive. I mean, I, I don't know how Goff pulled that one off, to be honest. It, it's neither. very tight. Yeah. Uh, Teichman plays her really well. Yeah, and, and, and another first-round match is, uh, of course, you know, it depends on which version of, uh, of uh, Ostapenko shows up, but Ostapenko and Muhova are playing first round. That's, uh, that's a high-level high match right there if both players come out, come out with their best games. So that's another uh, shocker first round. Yes, and is Ostapenko still working with uh, Bartoli, or does she have another coach now? I, I, I don't know. I haven't followed it. Okay. Followed and it. another first round that I'd like to see also is um, Layla Fernandez versus Elise Mertens. Um, I'm not sure Layla can get the win, but I really like watching her play. She's so young, but she's just, she's just so professional. I mean, it's hard to beat her. Brie, what about, and Matt, what about Johanna Conta, Kaya Yuvan? Mm. I mean, take a look at Conta's draw here, by the way. She's playing Yuvan first round, who's not a bad player at all. Okay, Yuvan is a, is a, is a dangerous player. It's, a, it's one of the tougher first rounds for the, for the top 15 seeds, I would say, qualifier. She gets past that. She might end up playing Maya Sheriff who is an excellent power player, by the way, if you've never seen her play, I recommend that, uh, or, or all listeners to definitely catch one of our, one of our matches. Sheriff is an excellent player, big serve, powerful player, imposing presence on the court. And, uh, she can, uh, she can pull the upset there. You know, it's, it's possible. And, but even if she makes it through there, Conta makes it, she has to then play Brady third round and then Cannon. And then so on and so forth. I mean, to me, out of the top 15 seats, Conta has the toughest road of anybody. I can agree with that. Okay. I know that both of you think that Barty is going to uh, be one of the semifinalists here. Um, what, before I ask you for your pick of the other semifinalist uh, in this half, I want to just ask about a specific player, and that is Karolina Pliskova. And the, and the question is, my, you know, the, the getting, arriving at the answer might be complicated, but the question is structurally very simple. How much of a time window does Karolina Pliskova have to nail down a first major tile? How, how um, quickly is the, is the time clock ticking? Smart. Uh, okay. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to correct you, Matt. Uh, I, and I said it earlier too. I do not have Barty going to the semifinals. Yeah. Oh, okay. I have her, I have her, uh, it's, it's an upset. I'm, I picked an upset. I realize that totally, but I do not have Barty going to the semifinals. But to answer your question, you know, Matt, I'm not sure if this is a time issue with Pliskova. I, I feel like Pliskova's game needs a little bit more to, to, win a, to win a major title. I know she's gone to the finals, and I know she's gotten close, and I know people uh, you know, have always said, well, she's... She, if she doesn't win a major, she'll be one of the best players to never win a major. But Pliskova's game, you know, doesn't have necessarily the plan B and plan C's that other top players have. Pliskova has to be on a, on a roll 
in terms of her power. Her serve has to work really well. And she has to play so well that she beats everybody playing her game A, you know, her plan A. And this is just a tough ask from a player like that who's not necessarily the fastest player on the court. She, because, of, because she's tall, she gets to a lot of balls, but she's not the fastest player. She relies solely on power and, uh, and, and, and on flat shots and uh, doesn't have much variety to her game. I'm personally not convinced that she has the game. And, and I, Plishkova fans are probably going to hate me for saying this, but I, I don't think at this point she has the game to win a major. That's, that's just my, um, my honest opinion. Okay, Bree. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the way you were describing, I don't, I don't want this to come across as bad, but the way you were describing Pliskova kind of reminded me of a player like Sharapova, except she doesn't have the grit of Sharapova to get her to that next level or across that finish line. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I kind of agree. I don't think it's really a timing issue. I think it's just a, a matchup is, issue with Pliskova. And um, I just don't really see anybody in the top 10 that she would really bother right now. I mean, they move better than her. Um, they're going to have more variety than her. Um, she is working with Sasha Bajan, who has had success with a lot of elite players. Uh, Serena Osaka has worked with Sloane Stevens, um, Azarenka. So maybe there could be changes in her game that bring about something new. But as of right now, I, I don't really see Pliskova as a contender. Yeah. And just to, just to add to what Bree just said, you know, for example, Sharapova is a good example, Bree. But, but, but if, you, if you notice, Sharapova could vary her spin. I mean, she, when she was in, she was, for example, pushed around in a scrambling position, she could still throw up that high top spin ball to get back into the point. She would once in a while hit short cross, sharp cross court angles. Uh, Pliskova doesn't seem to do all that, all, all, all those. She doesn't have top spin on her shots anyway. She's a rather flat ball hitter, which is very disturbing for her opponents. But, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough ask for, uh, for Pliskova to win a major, especially now in this era. And when I say in this era, I'm talking now, like 2021, with all these new players emerging, the new major champions that are coming along. You know, she, she no longer has three or four superstars to deal with. She all of a sudden has to go past, you know, to the, she's in the middle of maybe 10, 12 superstars. And, uh, and I think that, you know, the, 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 the other superstars surrounding her have a more promising game than, uh, than she does. All right. So let's get semifinalists from the top half and then your finalists and your Australian Open women's champion for 2021. Mert first. My, semi, my semifinalist from the top half is, um, again, assuming she's fine physically, I'm going to go with my dark horse for the tournament. Uh, Carolina Muhova, I think she's gonna. Uh, she's not gonna allow Barty to get to the semifinals. I realize it's an upset and uh, not necessarily likely to happen if Barty makes it. But I, I think she has the game. I think Muhova got game to uh, to get to the semis. And from the bottom, I'm going to pick Jen Brady to the semifinals. Those are all good picks. Um, I'm gonna go with Barty coming through on the top. I'm really, I'm really feeling Barty. She doesn't seem to buckle at home like a Sam Stozer or anything like that. And I think her draw is definitely something that um, she can 
rise to. Um, so I'm definitely picking Barty. The bottom of this top half is really tricky. There are so many names. Like I want to pick Kennan. I want to pick Azarenka. I want to pick um, – who else is that? Um, there's uh, Sakari could even make a splash or Svitolina. But my gut right now is saying Victoria Azarenka to the semifinals. Great pick. Great pick. So sweet. So we're semifinals and on, Bree. Uh, Sorry. Pick, uh, pick your uh, winners and then your of the semifinals and then your champion. Ooh. All right. This might surprise some people, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take it back. We're gonna get a we're gonna get an all mamas final, all 30s. I think now with Azarenka being 30, so um, we're gonna have a Serena Vika final, and I'm gonna say. Serena gets twenty-four. The fairy tale that and and doing it and doing it in Australia that would carry extra resonance. All right, so that is our women's uh, analysis. Now we shift and we can while while I'll let you turn your draw sheets over to the men. Now we turn to the ATP side and and so the first basic basic question, same as the women, just your initial thoughts your general overview of the men's draw just like the first few bullet point thoughts that come to mind when you saw the men's draw sheet for the first time uh Bree start us off um I, my first thought point when I saw the men's draw was uh, not a little bit of womp womp but a little bit of womp womp after you know seeing what the women could potentially have um it's you know it's the big three show until someone proves us wrong We've got Djokovic with a with a manageable draw. I mean, I don't really see anything too crazy until the second week for him. And then the other big favorite is Rafa in the bottom half. I think his draw is probably uh, probably one of the more favorable ones he's had in Australia in a while. The big wild card really is his body. Um, if he's perfectly fine, then I definitely think he should manage this well. But um, if his back really is kind of acting up, then it could be tricky. Uh, Matt, just to go back to the women's draw, I uh, I don't want to leave Brie out there hanging alone. Uh, you you didn't get my finalists and, and winner winners pick, so I'm just going to quickly get back on that. Uh, Brie went. Uh, I actually like Brie's picks personally, but uh, since uh, I picked Muhova as my dark horse, I have her going to the finals. And Osaka beating her in the finals. That's that, that, that's that's my final pick. But uh, okay, go, but getting back to the men, um, what everything that Bree just said is valid. Yes, jo- Djokovic uh, has you know. Th- th- I guess I guess the first uh, test for Djokovic, if you're a Djokovic fan, you know, if you're a Djokovic fan, you would of course you want to take every opponent uh, as a danger. And uh, Wawrinka and Raonic winner would be the first, you know, perhaps real test for Djokovic, I think. But yes, these players on the men's side, players like Djokovic, Nadal, and, uh, you know, those players who are seasoned in five set major championships are going to be the ones that will be in the second week. And that's when the men's draw will get interesting, when the second week comes around. But um, Bree made a great point. I, you know, how many times, how long has it been since uh, we keep 
thinking someone else is going to penetrate the big three, someone else is going to penetrate the big three. And here we are at the end of every major for even, even the last year or two, we have one of the big three or two of the big three in the finals or in the semifinals. US Open was the only exception and it took a lot for that to happen. So uh, I, I, you know, until, some, until one of the other players can prove otherwise, I, you know, somebody is going to have to re try really hard to convince me to, to, to not see a Djokovic Nadal final. So that that really is the the you know the big question, and that and so I, I'm going to ask it this way: What needs to happen for you know the players in the tier just below the big three to make something happen? You know, we saw Stefano Tsitsipas push Djokovic to five sets in Paris, and you know, the, it, some people might say the fact that Tsitsipas lost lost that match makes makes the fact that he lost in five instead of three irrelevant but others would say that the fact that he did go five uh that that actually does matter and it changes uh his thought process it changes his outlook for 2021 um you know dominic team he didn't beat Djokovic or nadal on the path to the u.s open title but nevertheless he is a major champion and he has crossed that threshold something he didn't do before so uh anything in in the experiences of Sitsipas and team uh and perhaps Zverev you know who served for the U.S. Open before um his nerves got him anything in those players experiences or the experiences of the other players in that second tier below Djokovic and Nadal that offers any kind of inclination that maybe they can write a different script this time in Melbourne uh, Mert first. Um, you know, you gave the example of team, uh, uh, Matt, and that's a great example. T you know, t it took a long time for team to now uh, push the big three, you know, to win a major and to, you know, for years and years, he, he, went, he came to the semis, finals, quarters, and, and he lost, but then he started beating the big three players here and there, and finally he won a major. But look how long it took him to, to get to that, uh, you know, to become a seasoned player first and then to become a seasoned champion. So these are baby steps that these players have to take. You know, the step that Tsitsipas took at the French Open, I agree with you that, the, you know, losing to Djokovic in five sets, you know, beating Cioric in a, in a very contested match and then following that up with a five-set loss to, to Djokovic is a, is a quite significant step he took there, yes. So he's on his way, but, uh, but is he there yet enough to, to, to beat these players? It's hard to tell. He's still young. You know, same with Medvedev. He reached the finals of a major, yes. And, uh, but, uh, you know, has, she, has he shown consistency again and again in the majors? Not yet. You know, so there's also this, this idea of becoming a seasoned player. It's, it's all baby steps that you have to take little by little. Take a guy like Dimitrov, who's very seasoned, who has plenty of experience, has gotten to the late stages of, uh, of majors, but uh, you know, he doesn't necessarily perform at the same level as one would expect out of him. So you know, who is who out of these people? Could, you could possibly have a crazy performance by someone like Fabio Fognini, like the three sets that he played against Nadal at the US Open to come back from two sets to 11 and upset him back a few years ago. You would have to have some crazy performance like that or you would have to have a situation where 
you know, Nadal or Djokovic play one tough match in the quarterfinals or, or round of 16 and then have to follow it up with another tough match and maybe physically they're off and they end up losing in the semifinals. But a lot has to go, a lot, a lot of places, a lot of dominoes has to fall into the right places for, um, for those two not to go to the finals. I, I, it's it's going to be hard. If they're physically in good shape, I don't see any other way. Three, how about that second tier of players below Djokovic and Nadal? And what, if anything, might give them uh, the ability to write a different script? I mean, it may seem like these players have limited chances, but I'm actually quite optimistic about this second tier group for the first time in the longest time. Um, Like Mert said, they're gaining experience. I mean, pretty much of that second tier, all of them have made major finals now, except Tsitsipas. And um, they're all growing in different ways. I still don't see them pushing the big three, but I do think that there are opportunities to be capitalized on. I mean, Zverev will have a great opportunity if he can play Djokovic kind of early in those quarterfinal rounds before he's fully tuned into finals joker. And, um, you know, there's also Tiam lurking to play the winner of that if he makes it through his section. Um, Sitsipas could play Rafa, and he's played some great matches with him, um, some great exhibitions like in Abu Dhabi um, another year ago. Um, he beat him in Madrid um, last year, I believe, 2019. So um, there's definitely opportunities, and there's definitely a cause to be optimistic, but we still have to see them do it. So that's really what I want to see. I'm just looking to see who's going to do it, who's going to take those next steps. All right, let's look at the bracket. And starting in the top half, uh, Mert alluded to uh, the uh, potential Raonic Vafrinka third round match with the winner to play Djokovic in the round of 16. That's an obvious point of interest. Um, I'll ask you about that match and and another match from the from the top half, a possible team uh, Schwartzman battle uh, in, in the round of sixteen, um, or excuse me, in in the quarterfinals. You know, we remember at Roland Garros the marathon match they played there. So if there is a, a reunion between team and Diego, uh, how how if if at all? does the Roland Garros matchup shape a possible reunion here? So um, Raonic Vavrinka and uh, Team Schwartzman has two matches to watch from this top half of the men's draw. Uh, Bree, go first. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to Milos and uh, Stan's match. Uh, I think that could be a good preview for the winner if they play Djokovic. Um, I kind of like how Milos has kind of had his comeback recently. Um, he's just going out there and trying to play his style of tennis. You know, he's he's kind of like a notorious tinkerer, and he's very hard on himself and demanding. But I, I really like how he's kind of settling into his game and accepting his physical limitations um, and just trying to play the best tennis he can play. Um, with Stan, he's he's still not at that level that we last saw, you know, in 2017 before his, his knee surgery, but um, he always matches up well with Djokovic. And, and frankly, I, I would like to see that matchup. It's been a while since we've seen them play. 
Um, I'm not sure if they've even played since uh, Stan beat them in the U.S. Open final. Um, so that will be fun to look forward to. Um, what was the other match? I forgot. I got yeah, so excited possible, about the top Yeah, possible Team Schwartzman quarterfinal. That would be interesting to me because um, we know, even though Diego is, you know, known for that clay upset, he's also a very good hardcourt player. And so um, I would like to see him match up with Tim just to see how, if that could go the distance. Um, I'm, I still think Tim would win just because of his weapons, but you never know. Starting from, from the second one Bree mentioned, I think if Tim makes it that far, uh, if he gets to the quarterfinals against Schwarzman, I think team will win that match personally. Uh, you know, because he will have he will have won four matches, and uh, team is you know now a, a top season player with with five set uh, majors with a major title and finals and semifinals. Uh, I think once if they get to that stage, in my opinion, he'll take out Schwarzman. Will he make it to that stage is, is, is rather the bigger question because uh, team is, you know, kind of a, a closed box right now. We're not, we're not exactly sure. I'm not, I'm not sure if anybody can comfortably say that uh, team is at the level that he was, uh, you know, back at the, at, the, at the U.S. Open. We'll see. We'll find out. That's why the first week is, you know, the, one of the biggest uh, uh, things to watch in the first week will be Dominic Team's performance. If he if he wins his matches, how is he playing? Is he playing well? He might have to face Kyrgios. He might have to face Dimitrov. But if he makes it past you know that and gets to the quarterfinals, I'll take him against Schwarzman, and I'll and I'll be fairly comfortable with that pick personally. Uh, in as for the other uh, Wawrinka and Raonic, I would like to see Raonic advance there. And I would like to see Milos not be injured through this tournament or not have any physical worry at all and see how he fares against Stan and then followed by Novak Djokovic. You know, I think Raonic has always been underrated for some reason or another. He's labeled as a big, just a big serving guy, that uh, a guy who never comes through in, the, in, in, in big situations. But uh, for someone who's had to deal with injuries every single year of his career, I think Milos has had a fabulous career considering his, uh, his circumstances. And I would love to see him break through. He's got, he's got the guns to, uh, to, to beat the, the top players. You know, I'm not sure that he can beat Djokovic, but I would love to see that. I would love to see a top form Raonic take on Djokovic in the fourth round. That interests me more than, to be honest with you, Stan versus Novak. I don't think Stan at this point can beat Novak. All right. Let's, uh, as we did with the women's draw, let's uh, consider various unseated players who might be able to make a little bit of a run, round of 16, maybe even the quarters. Um, you have Nishioka. Uh, you have Kekmanovic. Uh, Kyrgios. Uh, Kay Nishikori is an unseated player in this particular draw. Yannick Sinner, you know, a player who's got a lot of well-earned uh, praise and publicity last year. Uh, Mert, uh, start us off with an unseated player in this top uh, half of the men's draw that you think might be able to make a, a significant impression in week one. Yes, the, the two, I mean, the dark, there are actually three or four very interesting first rounds here. You know, uh, they're not unknown, but Kei Nishikori is unseated here. He's going to play uh, Karenio Busta first round. That's, that's a tough first round, depending on how Nishikori plays. But uh, 
if I'm Karen Yobusta, I would not want to play Nishikori first round, but yet here they are. And right below them is Denis Shapovalov versus Yannick Sinner. And uh, that's the talk about, a, you know, a curious matchup because you got one very calm, cool-headed, solid baseliner uh, on the rise playing another player who was on the rise, who has risen, and who is still taking steps to get to the top in Denis Shapovalov. And, one, and it's a great matchup because they have different games. They have um, contrasting styles. I am really looking forward to that matchup. Personally, I think Dennis is going to get the upper hand there against Yannick. Uh, Shapovalov is going to win that match. That's my pick. But it's a close pick. I can easily see why, would, why people would go with Sinner there. And another first-round match that, uh, that I would like to perhaps draw a little bit of attention to is Gael Monfis is going to play uh, the Finn, uh, Emil Roussevori. And, um, and I know Gael is a super seasoned, you know, major tournament performer, and he usually does well in majors. So I, I'm looking for him to win that match, but I will be interested to see how far can Roussevori push, uh, push Monfis. But then Monfis, if he wins, he has to play Nishioka, uh, Matt, and you mentioned Nishioka, and there's another good matchup. So... Those are the unseated players that I'm looking for. Uh, Kejmanovic, like you said, is a good one. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. That, you know, that there are a lot of them. And Bree? I would say my uh, unseated players are definitely Sinner. I, I really enjoy his game, and I can't wait to watch him and Shapovalov. Um, also, we got to throw it out there for Nick Kyrgios. The ultimate dark horse, <laughs> who's also unseated. <laughs> that's true. That's true. In this section, um, and then I have another one. Um, I know you were talking about Monfils. He's actually on a little bit of an injury watch. I don't know how serious it was, but both him and Pear had to withdraw with various ailments from their that's right. yeah. from their matches. Um, so he's kind of on a watch. Resort. Rusevori could definitely get him. Um, I'm kind of looking at Corinne Moutet. He played really well in his um, warm-up tournament. And so uh, maybe he could string up Raonic a little bit. I don't know. He's kind of a feisty lefty. I think he's kind of short. I'm not exactly sure. But he, he surely hemmed up Francis Tiafo. He's uh, got game. He's got a good game. What do you think how yes. he would do against Millman, Bree? John Millman. That's Ooh. a good first round, actually. Yeah, that would be a tough grind fest. I think Millman would pull it out just because he's at home. But, yeah, it'd be tough because Mutet's playing really well right now. Oh, and also um, Riley Opelka. I That's know right. he didn't have a great first round uh, in his warm-up tournament. He lost in two tie breaks. But um, he's, he's definitely one to watch if he can get his game going. Okay, in this uh, top half, who who faces Djokovic in the semis? Who who comes from uh, the team quarter uh, to to meet Djokovic in the semifinals? Bree, gonna say Dominic team. Uh, Dominic team would be the safe bet, but I'm gonna go ahead go with an upset here, and I'm gonna take pick Grigor Dimitrov to make another run to the semifinals. That would be a crowd pleaser, no doubt about that. <laughs> so let's now go to the bottom half 
of the men's draw. And uh, my first uh, question, and we'll start with uh, you, Mert. Uh, if Danil Medvedev doesn't get to the semis, looking at the draw that he has, how, how, how big of a missed opportunity, uh, how much of a negative is it for him? And, and this is not meant to, you know, throw shade on Andre Rublev or the other uh, talented players uh, in that uh, part of the draw, Roberto Bautista, Agu, you know, so really good players. But, you know, one would like to think that, you know, this should be on paper Medvedev's uh, quarter to lose, that he should park himself in the semis, possibly against Rafa. How, how, just how important is it that Danil gets to the semis after what was a disappointing Australian Open a year ago? Yes, I, I think that it's quite important because, you know, you got the big three and then you got, uh, you mentioned the group of players right below them. Perhaps we could put team by himself right below the big three, just a half a step ahead of the next group of players. Uh, that's the way I, sh I see it. But here's uh, Medvedev's chance to show that he can at least get the team spot and ready to really challenge the big three. He, he, he's got a major final under his belt. He needs to back that up with another great run to a semifinal or a final. And here's his chance to get to the semifinals, perhaps, to face Rafa from the, from the bottom of the draw with a chance to get to the finals and to, you know, if, if he can beat Rafa here. And uh, yes, I agree with you. This is a good chance for him to prove that point. You know, some of these players, they, they, tough draw or easy draw, doesn't matter. The bottom line is if they want to take the next step in their careers, they, there's a certain uh, expectation that they need to meet in the majors and uh, get into the semifinals or the finals of a major for the second time is the next step for Medvedev, in my opinion. And this is where he could do it. Re, where do you come down on that same question regarding Medvedev? Well, let's not forget, you know, Medvedev is coming off the World uh, Tour Finals title. Um, he's, he's got something to prove. He's, he's kind of like the hardcore king right now. So I'm hoping to see him make the semi. I honestly would be very disappointed in, in his play if he did not get to the semis with this draw. I mean, the seeds in his, his half are Krajinovic, um, Golfan, who hasn't looked at all remotely like himself since he had COVID, um, Batista Agut. Um, he's played okay in ATP Cup, but not anything impressive. Casper um, Ruud, I hope he can make it far with the draw that he's given uh, in Sanego and then Rublev at the top. Really, the only threat is Rublev, and uh, that should be a great matchup win for Medvedev if he gets there. May I add something to what Bree said? Of course. Okay. No, I was just going to say, Bree, Bree hit it on the nose there. I, I, I totally agree. Um, the, the, only, the only way I see Medvedev lose in the, first, in the first week is an early round off day. If he has an off day and plays bad or maybe loses his head for a while or something. And even with that, Krajinovic is the one player who, in my opinion, could pull the big upset here. And, uh, you know, game-wise, he, he matches up okay with Medvedev. You know, it, it, so if Medvedev is going to be upset early, I would expect that more from Krajinovic in the third round than if he does make it to the fourth round and to the quarterfinals and finds his uh, rhythm. 
and uh, I don't see him. I don't see Rublev or Agut beat Medvedev once he's in a groove. So uh, yeah, I, just like we said, it'd be disappointing if if you're a Medvedev fan, you'd be very disappointed if your man doesn't get to the semifinals here. When I look at this uh, bottom half of the men's draw, I, I see a number of players who you know have received plenty of publicity, plenty of talk. Uh, but haven't yet had that breakout major tournament performance. Casper Ruud would be one example. Uh, Jan Leonard Struff would be another example. Uh, players who, you know, are still waiting on that semifinal run, uh, which really, you know, getting to a semi at a major really lifts you past uh, a lot of other peers on tour trying to make an imprint, trying to get, to that latter stage of a prestige tournament when you can play someone either from the big three or just below it and get that kind of experience. Uh, you know, Matteo Berrettini's had that, uh, but other players have not. Uh, of the players, of, you know, I've mentioned a few, there are a few others I see in this bottom half who haven't made a major semi yet, uh, w which name uh, has a chance, especially in, the, uh, in Medvedev's quarter with Rublev. Uh, any names that stand out to you as players who could make a first major semifinal and really begin to create extra momentum in their careers? Mert first. Okay, I'll go, but I'll be I'll be a little bit pessimistic in in, the, in answering this question. I was, you know, Matt, it's fun, it's funny that you asked this question. I didn't even know that you were going to ask it, but this morning I was looking at exactly this, looking at the draw. What about these players who are looking for a major breakthrough? And I'm looking at them. And I'm seeing bad draws for them. For example, take someone like uh, Struff, okay? I think he's playing well, okay? He's in good form. And yet, he's got to play a Bautista Agut second round, assuming they both win their first round matches. That is a very tough matchup for Struff to, to play a guy like Agut, who, uh, who's very steady, gets a lot of balls back fast, keeps the ball low. Struff is a big guy. Uh, you know, he's got flat hips. That's a bad matchup for Struff to have a breakthrough tournament. But he needs to beat Agut just to get to the third round. And then I'm looking at a guy like Rublev. For a breakthrough for Rublev at this point would be to get to the semis of a major, I think. You know, not just third, fourth round, but go to the semis. But yet here is, he also has to play Bautista Agut possibly in the fourth round. That's not a good matchup for Rublev. Rublev is going to have to hit his big forehand not once or twice to win the point, but probably four, five, six times to win the point against a player like Bautista Agut. And then even if he gets past him, he's going to have to play Medvedev. I'm looking at another guy like that, Hurkacz, Uber Hurkacz. He's got to play an up-and-comer, a very good player, Carlos Alcaraz, second-round qualifier possibly in the second round. And then if he wins, he's got to play Tsitsipas. Both of those are bad matchups for Hurkacz, game-wise. Same thing with Hachanov. Hachanov, you know, we, with a breakthrough for him would be to reach the semifinals of a major. But uh, he's got to play Berrettini, third round, if he makes it there. And then if, even if he wins, he's got to play Dan Tsitsipas in the fourth round. And Berrettini might be okay. Hachanov might be able to handle Berrettini. That's actually not that bad a matchup. But Tsitsipas is a bad matchup for, uh, for Hachanov. So, yes. These players need to do make breakthroughs, but they've got bad draws. That's that's my conclusion on that. Bree, anything to add? I would. I agree. I mean, my 
real breakthroughs are just Rublev. I would like to see him make a semifinal because he's been kind of knocking with those quarterfinal appearances. But really, I think the one person who kind of has the most to gain from this would be um, Borna Chorich. I mean, he does not have the greatest slam resume for someone who we talk about so often. And I think he's got a great draw to um, actually get to the fourth round and play Medvedev, or is that the quarterfinals? Um, yeah, fourth yeah. round to play Medvedev, yes. Yeah, I would like to see him get to that fourth round. That would be a great result for for George and to see him be competitive. Okay, Bree, you know, you're the, you're the Nadal whisperer uh, on our staff at the tennis with an accent. Um, when you look at Rafa's draw, uh, did, does it matter whether he plays Sitsipas or Berrettini in the quarterfinals? Or are you thinking of that as, you know, that's just a tough matchup either way. I mean, do you have, do you, do you think that it matters which of those two Nadal uh, faces if he does have to face one of the two? Hmm. Um, I don't think it really matters. I think if he potentially has to play um, Medvedev in the semis, I think he would kind of prefer to play Berrettini um, just to kind of get used to a little flatter ball on the backhand side. Um, But really, I don't think it matters. Um, I think he would like to see Berrettini and not Sitsipas there, but <laughs> I, I mean, I, don't, I think Rafa could, he should be fine either way. Mert. Yeah, the, the, the Bree hit it on the nose. Yes, if I'm, not, if I'm Rafa and I get to the quarterfinals, out of, out of Sitsipas, Hachanov, and Berrettini, Berrettini is the one that I'd like to see play. But uh, Sitsipas is the last one that I'd want to see play. I mean, Sitsipas would, would possibly give Rafa some problems uh, depending on, uh, you know, his level. But yes, no, I, I, Sitsipas is the only very considerable danger, let's say, for Rafa on, her, on his way to the semifinals. On the heels of that, Mert, let's tackle a possible Sitsipas-Nadal quarterfinal and you know I go back to what I mentioned earlier does the fact that Sitsipas took Djokovic five you know he didn't crumble in three sets he pushed he fought he, he showed a level of steel and grit that we haven't always seen from Stefanos uh, in the past how much does that matter if he if he locks horns with Nadal in a possible quarterfinal no, it matters. It matters uh, to Stefanos more than anyone else. You know, it, it gives him belief that he's able to hang in there with the, with the, with the top of the line, with the top elite players uh, on, on, on a showcase situation, which is the quarterfinals of a major. In this case, he would play Rafa. And, uh, and, and let, let's be honest here. So Stefanos got game. He's got a good all-around game. He's not just a base diner nor just an attacker. He can uh, vary shots. He's a, he's a believer. He believes in himself. Uh, it's, he doesn't go out to, to the court already down, you know, one set against the aura of his opponent. And uh, no, I, I, I have high hopes for, for Stefanos. He would have to serve well to have a chance against uh, Rafa. He would have to serve his wide serve extremely well on the deuce side. And he would have to take any chances that he gets on short balls, which he does. So that's why I think uh, I don't see that matchup as an easy one for Rafa. You know, he's still the favorite, of course, to beat Stefanos if they play. But Stefanos has a chance. 
Bree, size up a, a Rafa Stefanos matchup uh, in, in the quarterfinals. And, you know, just what's your sense of is Sitsipas ready to take that next step in his evolution? You know, he was really close in Paris, but close uh, is not the same as getting it done. Uh, what's your sense of how close Stefanos is to actually crossing the threshold? Well, as an Nadal fan, I, I hope he's not close at all <laughs> to crossing that threshold. But uh, <laughs> as a tennis with an accent analyst, uh, I think he's he's very close to reaching that next level. Um, Tsitsipas is probably the most promising to me. Um, when I watch the, the guys of the next level, like, of course, Tim and Zverev have um, better resumes at this point. But um, Stefanos just brings something that, those guys don't have and and his game matches up really well with Rafa and like I've said before they've had some great matches and it'll definitely be tough uh it'll be a tough match I could see it maybe even going four or five if both of uh Rafa and Stefanos are up to it but um it's really all up to to is Stefanos ready to take that next step um he's had some close battles with Djokovic he's He's beat Federer. He's beat Nadal, but can he do it in a major now? It's the same question for everybody. <laughs> All right, let's get some picks, and then we'll actually break down the two men's semifinals after you give your picks. Uh, Bree, give your semifinal picks, and then and then Mert. I'm going to say, okay, my my bottom semi is. Huh. I mean, I, I, I have to go Rafa Medvedev. Like, that's that's what I want to see. Okay, and, and your other semi, and then we'll get Mertz two semis. Um, the other semi is uh, Djokovic and Tim. Okay, Mert? Um, I'm going with, uh, with Djokovic and Dimitrov, the top semis. Like I said earlier that I was going to pick Dimitrov for another deep run. And and at the bottom, I'm going with Rafa and Bautista Agut. So I'm going with the with, I'm going with the veterans, the the seasoned veterans. All right. So we have different matchups, but let's let's uh, let's play around with the the potential blockbuster uh, ma- matchups in the two semis. Djokovic team, Nadal Medvedev. Let's let's assume mm-hmm. that those are the matchups. What should we be looking for? in those matchups, like what, what are your main talking points if we get to those two semifinals on the men's side? So Mert, start off with Djokovic team, uh, your, your talking points for that, and then I'll go over to Bree. Djokovic team, you know, assuming they, uh, they're both at the top of their game, is um, probably at the Australian Open, I would go with Djokovic in three or four sets. Uh, it also depends, though, on how, um, you know, how the court plays. Is it a fast, slow, or are they going to play, end up playing indoors maybe on a bad day, or is it going to be outdoors? But uh, at this point, I do not see team. I, the problem with team, Matt, the reason why I'm having trouble with this is that I would like to see team play his first three or four matches. You know, are we going to see the team uh, of, uh, of the U.S. Open? Or the one that played that played that incredible match with Rafa, you know, a couple of years ago, five setter, is is that version going to be up there, or is it going to be a version that's that's not yet back to his top level? 
And uh, if he's not back to his top level, I don't even see him making it to the semis. Or he, if he does, I see Djokovic win in three or four sets. But um, team has the game to beat Djokovic if he's at the top of his game, only because similar to Wawrinka, when Wawrinka managed to beat Djokovic a couple of times in the majors on hard courts, only because he can actually out-hit Djokovic, which sounds really crazy, okay? But, but the t- team has the game to out-hit Djokovic. In other words, hit so many winners in long rallies, rallies that reach 8, 9, 10, 11 uh, shot rallies on the 12th or 14th shot, just hit a winner, whack a winner out of nowhere, or at least hit it hard enough to where Djokovic can barely get his racket on and miss it. And when he does that over and over again, Novak tends to kind of get discouraged. You know, it, it sounds weird to say that about the world number one, but it has happened to him before against Wawrinka specifically. So that's the kind of match that the team would have to pull out. Otherwise, I think the Novak's got this. He's going he's gonna to go to the finals, most likely. Bree, size up a Djokovic team semifinal if we get one. Well, I, I would hope to see a preview or not a preview, but a, a take two of the final from last year. Um, I thought it was kind of like a slow burn between those two. Um, Djokovic and Tiam never played well, I would say, at the same time. So it was an interesting match. And I would kind of just like to see how Tiam will manage this matchup as a champion now. And, and if he gets to the semi, what he wants to do with it. Um, so, yeah, it's just, I don't really know. It's hard to say. I don't really see team winning because, you know, this is Djokovic's house. Like, it's like betting against Djokovic here is, you know, is insanity. So, un- until he can be beaten, uh, it's, it's Djokovic going through to the final. All right, now let's uh, let's uh, break down a possible Nadal-Medvedev semifinal. Bree, start us off with your main uh, pressure points, talking points for uh, Nadal and Medvedev if they are able to uh, meet. And there would be, of course, a rematch of that memorable U.S. Open final, which went five sets. What, what would you look for? What would you want our uh, listeners to pay attention to if it is a Nadal-Medvedev semifinal in the bottom half? Um, I would look to see, definitely, if you're a Rafa fan, I would look to see how Rafa is just managing the dynamics of the match. Um, one of the things that uh, I noticed about the their World Tour Finals match was that um, it was really tight, really contested, but just at the end, you know, the physicality kind of got to Rafa a little bit and he faded away. So it would just be nice to see both of them fresh and going at it till the end. And I think it's going to be a tough battle. Um, I, it, it'd be tough to call a little bit. Um, I want to have faith in Rafa so he can get back to that final and potentially get his 21st major and get the career double slam, become the first man to do that, uh, the career (laughs) golden slam. So um, that would be, I don't know, that's a tough pick. That's a really toss-up. I want to say Rafa just based off experience, but maybe we could get a Medvedev-Djokovic final. Well, and let's and let's get your predictions for the the, the champions of the men's tournament. Bree, who's your who's your champion? Novak Djokovic. And Mert. 
I have Rafa beating Novak in the finals this time. Okay, so let's break down. This will be the this will conclude our show. What what should we look for if if it's Djokovic and Nadal? You know, obviously they met in the Roland Garros final, and of course, you know, two years ago they met in a very lopsided Australian Open final. So so Mert, if if Rafa is going to beat Djokovic, what what in the calculus of this matchup has changed on hard courts? to give you enough faith that Rafa uh, can turn the tables on Djokovic this time. Yeah, I think the, the uh, first of all, the, the, the beating at Roland Garros is going to be fresh in both in the mind of both. I know it's on clay. That's, there's no doubt. So that makes a big difference, but that will be fresh in their minds. Cause that was a very, that was a drumming by Nadal. He, he, he dominated that match and it's very recent, but Yes, we're on we're on Novak's house, Novak's house right now, and the sensible pick would be to to say that Novak would come out on top of Rafa. But Rafa, throughout his career, and uh, you can say this, of course, on with all the big three. There is no doubt you can say this with all the big three. But if I had to pick one out of the three, who's made adjustments in 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 small periods of a year or two or three to turn around a bad situation or to turn around a rivalry or to do better against another against a player against whom he's been struggling i would call the, i would call it i would say that rafa does that the best and the i you know he's he's turned around his head to head with players many times before in short periods of time and I saw things in that uh, French Open match that, uh, that I thought Rafa did better than in their previous matches. He did not, for example, try to get a lot of balls back high to, to Djokovic. He would mix it up a lot with high topspins and then flat hits, even though it was on clay that match. But I don't want to take not just that match as a, as a measuring stick, of course. I just think that it's going to be really hard. First of all, if, if anybody expects... Novak to come out and drum Rafa like he did in the last Australian Open final. I don't think that's happening. And, you know, once again, we're talking two weeks ahead. I'd like to see how Rafa plays, just like I'd like to see team play. I'd like to see how Rafa plays in his physical situation in the first three or four rounds. But in terms of breaking down the tactics of that match, they both know each other's game very well. They're going to try to do pretty much the same things. Rafa will probably make a little adjustment here and there to change, to, to turn things around. Um, you could just uh, look at the match uh, tactically the way Mert did, you know, just give your general impressions of that match, or you could answer this question, your choice. You can pick one of the two angles. The other angle is, would it matter in terms of how easy or how difficult uh, the two players' paths are to the final? Would, would that reshape how you'd see this? You know, because Mert said he wants to be able to see players play a, a week, you know, before he gets a feel for how uh, – a late uh, stage matchup might unfold at the end of the fortnight. Um, do you view the, a, a possible Djokovic Nadal final through that lens, or do you just want to, you know, give a, a, a general strategic overview of the final, much as Mert did? I can leave the strategy to the great Mert. He's he's much more uh, better uh, at that. <laughs> no, I, you know, I think just the the, the Bree, not to cut you in the middle, but I think to you know to try to predict how players will play 14 days ahead of today or 15 days ahead of today is, is very speculative. You know, we're, we're, uh, it, it would be, I think it would be better to, to just for the sake of these type of uh, pick things 
it's it's a lot uh, it's a lot more accurate if we if you know we try to pick maybe uh, the next two or three rounds. In fact, uh, I wish that we could do a show where the first rounds are played and there's a clear evening there where we can we already saw one match from each player and then we move on to pick the next few rounds. You know, I know those are impossible, of course, but uh, you know, <laughs> I thought I'd throw that in there too. Yeah, I agree. That would make it easier to analyze because you know we can we can talk these matchups to death, but once the tournament starts, um, things change. You know, just listening to you talk about the matchup, I wanted to know what's the weather going to be like in Australia this year. You know, the tournaments later is that going to have any effect on the courts, which they're saying that are playing faster? I mean, will there be more indoor matches because there's more rain this time of year, or or what? You know, there's just so many elements to these matches. Um, I don't really and, think, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, Brie, go ahead. You finish. I was going to ask about a question, but go ahead. You finish. Okay. Uh, I was just going to say, like, I really don't think when it comes to Raffole that um, the matches that they play beforehand, I don't really think that plays into their matchup so much anymore. Um, they really know everything about each other unless they've been like pushed to the limit, like in the round before and then fatigue comes into play. I don't really think it matters. It's just all about mentally who's ready to execute on that day. And we saw that, you know, for whatever reason, Rafa was the one at the French open. And I would like to see how he approaches this Australian open final because uh, the last time he met Djokovic, he was kind of coming off of a injury break. He didn't have the best preparation and he was, working on these changes to his game, like on his serve and to his back end. And those were things that were just really surprisingly dominant in the Roland Garros final. So I would just like to see how they would translate to a hardcore matchup. It's still in, uh, excuse me, Nole's favor, of course. But um, I think it could be interesting. Yeah, you know, uh, Matt Jabri just said it and um, the, the, just, just, just said in one sentence what I was trying to spit out earlier. Just, you know, Bree, you did Rafa's backhand, great point there. You know, for example, his backhand is, is a little bit flatter now. He's, he's willing to accelerate more. So these are just little adjustments that, that are going to matter. But just like you said, they both know each other's game very well. And the reason why I got excited and I interrupted you there for a second is, uh, is you mentioned you made another great point with, with the weather, you know, I mean, what, what's it going to be on that day? I know I mentioned that too, but you're, then you went ahead and you moved on and said, how are the courts playing? They're saying it's playing a little bit faster. Have they played matches on the, on the two big show courts so far in this, in, in this week? I don't think they have, correct? I am not sure. I know ATP cup was played on some show matches, um, show courts, but, um, I'm not sure if it was because, Margaret Court or what. Because they, they, you know, they vary too. You know, Rod Laver doesn't necessarily play as fast as, uh, you know, second, third, or as fast or slow as second, third courts. So it's, you know, there's a lot of change to when, when I hear somebody say the courts are faster, I always take that with a grain of salt. What does courts are faster mean? Are we talking all across all 25 courts are we, or 50 courts or however court? Are we talking show courts? You know, are we talking Rod Laver Arena? So I would like to wait a little bit more and see how that court plays too. You know, what you mentioned and that just, uh, just made me think of that. I agree. And I hope it's playing more like 2017 
because that was probably the last Australian Open that I really, really enjoyed. And maybe it was just because it was my favorites in the final, but I really loved the the matchups that we got. Like I remember the Rafa semifinal with Grigor Dimitrov and it just, the shot making was crazy from that, from that semi alone. So I hope we see something more like that. Well, you've gotten, folks, you're, as you listen to the Tennis with an Accent podcast, you've gotten uh, a little over uh, an hour and a half of Australian Open preview analysis. I can't thank our guests enough. In-house analyst Mert Ertunga on Twitter at Murtovs, the letter T, desk, Murtovs T desk. Brianna Faust at the number four, the tennis, for the tennis. Uh, follow them for their insights on the Australian Open over the coming fortnight. Uh, get ready to uh, you know have that that cough that coffee uh, late at night. Stay up through the night if you're in the United States, or to have uh, breakfast with the Australian Open if you're in Europe. Uh, to do whatever you do, uh, wherever you're listening uh, throughout the world, we hope you enjoyed the Australian Open. Follow us on uh, at tennisaccent.com. We'll have some written coverage during the tournament. We're we're back in that writing mode. We're going to have some staff picks to present to you. And you can follow us on Twitter at accent underscore tennis. Um, feel free to ask questions to, to uh, the uh, accent tennis uh, Twitter account. Uh, we'll, we'll try to spend parts of the Australian Open answering our questions. We might farm them out to Mert and uh, our other uh, in-house analysts. So we want to be a little bit more interactive at this tournament. So uh, it's going to be fun and uh, we can't uh, wait for this tournament to get started, uh, the first major of 2021. Mert Ertunga, Brianna Faust, thanks for joining us on the Tennis with an Accent podcast. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. <laughs>